Father's Day is just around the corner, and you probably need a gift for a hairy dad. Make your dad proud this year and get him and yourself the Manscaped Lawnmower 4.0. You heard that right, the Lawnmower 4.0. Get 20% off plus free shipping with code RCST at manscaped.com. Have you ever seen a nose bush sticking out your dad's nose or maybe a few straggly hairs sticking out of his ear? I've always wondered, guys who have the, the really bad nose hair sticking out, the hairs coming out of the ear, is it because they don't care or is it because they don't notice? Either way, as his son, don't you think it's your obligation to help bring your dad into modern times? You can do that with the Weed Whacker Nose and Ear Trimmer. It is the best nose trimmer on the market and the perfect gift for your pops. Get 20% off plus free shipping when you use the code RCST at manscaped.com. Get your dad a gift you know they will use. 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com when you use the code RCST. Don't forget that you came from your dad's balls. This year, show your original home some love with Manscaped. We got a lot of different things coming at you today, okay? And I'm just sensing a little bit of a low right now. That. You don't got time to say. All right, let's go. Break it. Break it. Let it cross. Woo! Ladies and gentlemen, can I please have your attention? I've just been handed an urgent and horrifying news story. And I need all of you to stop what you're doing and listen. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk with Nick Schwert and Derek Johnson on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. A sad day yesterday in the Kansas athletics community. I don't know how familiar you may have been with Larry Keating, who was uh, an associate AD for KU since 2004. I believe he came in the same year that Bill Self did. He was effectively in charge of making the schedule every single year. Well, he didn't make the entire schedule. He scheduled the, the buy games, the guarantee games, whatever you want to call them, where you pay a school to come play you and it's not a part of some sort of home and home or home and away, right? And the reason why he was in charge of that was because Kansas was constantly trying to put themselves in the best position with the RPI. It became very clear after doing this for, how long was it? He was there till 2019, so 15 seasons, 16 seasons. It became clear that you could game the system. And it's not gaming, like, I don't say that in a bad way. I say it in that if you have the advantages that Kansas does, which is you don't really have to worry about who you schedule. You don't have to worry about, oh, what if we schedule these games and we lose them? Well, you're not going to, right? You're not going to lose to Vermont or Pacific or Milwaukee. But Kansas knew they weren't scheduling to win games. They were scheduling to make their profile look better. They weren't scheduling to get into the tournament. They were scheduling to increase or enhance their seed line. And there was nobody better in the country of doing that than Larry Keating was. He knew how the RPI worked. It, the RPI was a bad system, right? It didn't really do a whole lot to tell you who was good and who was bad. I think it was a three-part system, right? It was um, 50% of the formula was the opponent's 
winning percentage, average of the, the opponent's winning percentage. The other 25% or another 25% was your winning percentage. The other 25% was the winning percentage opponents, of the opponent's opponents, opponents, opponents yeah. right? <laughs> so most of that is going to be something that you don't control. <laughs> which is insane. It's not what you can control. It's the teams you play's winning percentage and then the teams that they play's winning percentage. So 75% of the formula is stuff that's out of your control, which was frustrating. But if you were Kansas and you knew, well, what the 25%, our winning percentage, we're going to take care of that. We're going to win 20-plus games every single year. So what we need to do to game the rest of the system, which is a big chunk of it, is make sure we're scheduling teams who are going to win games. When you're doing these non-com buy games, you're always scheduling them from small conferences like the Big West or the Atlantic 10 or the Horizon or the Big Sky, whatever. What Larry Keating was so good at was finding the opponents who were going to win a lot of games and, and go on to win their tournament and go to the NCAA tournament. That was going to enhance your RPI. Larry Keating passed away yesterday at the age of 76. He retired from Kansas in 2019 when there was sort of staff upheaval with uh, the firing of Shan Zenger and the hiring of Jeff Long. Jeff Long kind of came in and cleaned house, and not to say that he got fired, but it was easy decision to make for somebody who'd been in college athletics for decades. Same with uh, Jim Marcioni, both of whom were great at what they did, but new regime comes in, you got grandkids, you've had a, a lifetime of service to college athletics, it's time to go retire and enjoy the rest of your life. Unfortunately for Larry... Um, he passed away too young, man. 76. I mean, this guy was inducted into the Seton Hall Hall of Fame. Longtime athletic director there uh, when they went to the national championship game under P.J. Carlissimo. And then what he did at I mean, dude, the RPI numbers at Kansas were pretty... I mean, look at the RPI numbers. Under Larry Keating. I'm going to start with 2005. Second year there. That, was, that would be when he would have started scheduling. Here was KU's RPI ranks. I'll run through them quick. Fifth... 33rd, 10th, 4th, 11th, 1st, 1st, 4th, 5th, 3rd, 5th, 1st, 3rd, 3rd, 4th. Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? It'd be impossible for anybody to be as good at gaming that system than Larry Keating, but that's what he knew. You know why? Because he'd spent a lifetime in college athletics. And he was really good at it. He knew exactly what he was doing. He was the AD at Seton Hall from 85 to 97. Um, and then he went and worked for the uh, the Metro Atlantic Conference. The MAC. Yeah, I never know how to pronounce the acronym. And there he did, he did conference scheduling and uh, tournaments and things like that. And then he came to Kansas where he served a very, very integral role. And that's the thing. There's not a lot of schools who have roles like that. Kansas is a have, right? They are one of the haves of college athletics. So they can afford to pay a guy to go out and do this and make sure that you're going to be seen favorably by the NCAA Tournament Selection Committee. And they, they don't use the RPI anymore. Well, they, they use it, but it's a part of the net ranking, right? Is that is It, it factors into the net, right? That I do not know. I don't really know if anybody knows. The net is still uh, a flawed process. It, they use it, I think, maybe in the um, in the team sheets, but I don't believe they use it in the actual net ranking. But when you go back over the years and just look at Kansas's seed line, never having been worse than a four seed, 
I mean, that stretch there from 2010 to 2018, one seed, one seed, two seed, one seed, two seed, two seed, one seed, one seed, one seed. <laughs> but that's the difference between being on the one line and the two line, or the two line and the three line, or the three line and the four line. Is oh, but Kansas had those impressive non-con wins, and up oh, they're number one in the net. Uh, they're number one in the RPI again. They're number four in the RPI. They went out and had impressive non-con. They they didn't have the gimme games where you're going to beat teams by fifty. I mean, they had them, but fewer of them than a lot of the other power conference players. So, uh, sad news. Sad news for the passing of Larry Keating, as, as well as uh, former AD Monty Johnson, who passed away yesterday, and he was still in Lawrence um, at the age of 84. So, incredibly sad day. And if you go back and you can read through some of the stuff, um, I've seen people sharing on Twitter and and Facebook, like the, the memories of Monty and... He seemed to be a pretty beloved guy as well around here. So kind of a somber day for KU Athletics. I was looking towards next season for Kansas basketball and trying to sort of put my fingerprint on exactly what this team is going to look like. Like What is going to be the identity of this team? How do we begin to figure out how they're going to play? Because you've got a lot of new faces, a lot of guys who haven't played meaningful minutes under Bill Self. One thing we do know about this team, though, is it's going to be one of the oldest teams that Bill Self's had at Kansas. I wonder how much it's going to matter. When we think of experience, you think of guys who have been around the program or a team that is led by upperclassmen. Ken Pomeroy's had his uh, experience rankings. He's been doing those since, I think, 2007. And it actually comes down to a formula. It's a really simple formula. You give a zero for every minute a freshman plays. You assign a one for every minute a sophomore plays, a two for every minute a junior plays, a three for every minute a senior plays. And then you get a number. You average all the minutes, and then you get a number. So a zero, if, if your team ranking is a zero, that means every single minute was played by a freshman, which, of course, is never going to happen. Uh, if you get a one, every minute was played by a sophomore, or at least that's the average, Right. KU last year was below average in terms of experience. Their experience number on Kimpom was 1.47. So that meant that the average player had 1.47 years of experience. So that means about a, in between Soft sophomore and, and junior. Soft right? Year. And it makes sense when you look at the team. Uh, David McCormick, junior. Ochai, junior. Jalen Wilson, freshman. Marcus Garrett, senior. Christian Brown, sophomore. Right? You get how it averages out. That ranked 263rd nationally. So KU was one of the younger teams in the country last year. It was below average. Here are KU's most experienced teams under Bill Self. 2012 had the most experience with 2.19 years. 2008 was second. 2005 was third. 2011 was fourth. And those four have kind of separated from the pack. Those are the only four teams that Bill Self's had at Kansas where the average experience was over two years. And we know that that 2011 team, KU, uh, one of the best teams that Bill Self's had. The top two teams, though, I mean, 2012, national runner-up, won it all in 2008. So you would think that there's a correlation there between experience and success. But if you dive a little bit deeper into some of those teams, some of those most experienced teams, you'll realize that it's a little bit different than this year's team because 2012 is the most experienced team that Bill Self had. They had one senior, four juniors in the starting lineup. That starting five ate up most of the team's minutes. You had six-man Connor Tehan, uh, Kevin Young, Justin Wesley. But that was a really thin team, remember? 
all starting five, and then you had Connor Tien as a sixth man, but that was basically it. 2008 was the second most experienced team. Two seniors, two juniors, sophomore in the starting five. Sharon was the sixth man as a sophomore. Uh, he had two seniors in Sasha and Roderick Stewart who rounded out the rotation. Cole was a freshman, but he really didn't play that much. 2005, you had three seniors, a junior, and a sophomore. Michael Lee was the sixth man. He was a senior. And then you had a bunch of freshmen rounding out the rotation, like Sasha, Russell Robinson, Alex Galindo. And then finally, 2011. That team had two seniors, three juniors in the starting lineup. Josh Selby was the sixth man as a freshman. You had sophomore T-Rob, sophomore Elijah coming off the bench, Mario Little, Relaford. So not a ton of experience coming off the bench. So you'll notice a trend. The most experienced teams have a bunch of upperclassmen eating up majority of the minutes. Makes sense. That's how you wind up with experience. And we already know that next year's team is going to have experience. Remy, Dave, uh, Jalen Coleman-Lands, Cam Martin, Ochai, if he returns, all will be seniors. Then you've got Christian Brown, Joe Yesifu, they'll be juniors. Jalen Wilson, Dewan Harris will be sophomores. The only freshmen who you'd think are going to compete for minutes will be Clements and maybe Bobby Pettiford, but they both won't, right? They, you're not going to play 10 deep. Regardless, depending on what happens there and if Ochai comes back, it doesn't matter. Upperclassmen are going to dominate, dominate in minutes played for this Kansas team. Beyond just being an upperclassman, though, this team has a different level of experience because this team has played a ton of meaningful minutes and they've started a bunch of games. Next year's roster, this stat blew my mind, next year's roster for KU, this is counting Ochai, will have a combined 399 starts under their belt at the Division I level. That's going into this year. 399 combined starts. Jalen Coleman-Lands has been in college for seven, it'll be his seventh season, has started 102 games. It's insane. Remy Martin's second with 83. Ochai's 77. Big Dave's at 59. Christian Brown's at 35. You get it. Not counting Cam Martin or Sidney Curry. I mean, Cam Martin had 62 starts, but that was Division II. Sidney Curry, Juco. But 399 combined starts at the Division I level. And that seems like a lot of stuff. It seems like it is. You have nothing to go off of because who does this sort of stuff, right? Who goes back and looks at it? Well, that's what we're going to do right now. Because two, 399 combined starts, it is a hell of a lot of starts for one team to have. Let's go back and look at the combined starts on those most experienced teams during self's time at Kansas. Going into those seasons. 2012, only 167 combined starts. If you remember, T-Rob, Withy, Elijah, Relaford, they were all first-year starters. 2008, 288 combined starts. Shady and Darrell were first, or, or Darnell were first-year starters. 2005, you had 254 combined starts. Moody was a first-year starter. Giddens was a sophomore. Simeon was a full-time starter, but he had been injured so much he hadn't racked up the actual in-game experience. And then 2011, only 173. So the most combined starts a team has had under self was 2008. And they're still... 111 starts shy of what Kansas is going to bring to the table next year. And even if Ochai elects to stay in the draft, as many people believe he's going to, that number drops to 322, which still gives them a 34-start advantage over 2008. So therein lies the question. We know this. This team has experience in terms of age, but they also have experience in terms of having played meaningful minutes at the Division I level. But what kind of experience matters most? That's what we don't know. 
Is it experience playing for Bill Self, or is it simply having that experience of playing quality minutes? Because if we're to put together the potential rotation, in no particular order, Dave, Jalen, oh, let's leave Ochai out, okay? Dave, Jalen, Remy, Brown, Yesifu, Coleman Lands, Cam Martin, Dwan Harris, Zach Clements. That's nine. That's nine. That's four, that's four seniors, two juniors, two sophomores, and a freshman. And that's not counting Ochai. The flip side of that is that most of these guys will be playing together for the first time. The only ones with real experience with one another and with Bill Self are Dave, Jalen, and Christian Brown. It's insane. You've got three guys where you feel like you've got this experienced team, you've got this old team. None of them have played together. None of them have played under Bill Self. And that's why Kim Palm also, he... He charts experience every year, and he charts minutes continuity. And I'll tell you this right now, and and he's done studies that have showed minutes continuity, which is basically how much of your returning minutes from last year do you return next year. So if you have the same starting five from one year to the next, you're probably going to be at the top, and that's very valuable to have, a group that's played together. KU's not going to rank very high in that regard. We know that much. But who is? There's over 1,600 kids in the transfer portal. Which teams... In modern college basketball, especially like in the meet like right now, 2022, how many teams are going to be bringing back a bunch of guys who all played together last year? And it used to be, well, the mid-majors will, because that's the only way you can build a team consistently, is by constantly bringing back the same guys, having that experience, and using it to your advantage. But how is that going to happen now when those guys, like Tanner Groves of Eastern Washington, says, oh... One-time free transfer rule? I'm going to Oklahoma. You move up from Eastern Washington to Oklahoma. So I do think minutes continuity matters. You want a team that's played together. KU's not going to have that. But I don't think anybody's going to have that. I also, without doing the math, because I'm not going to go check every single team in the country, I can't imagine there is a team that is going to have more experience, on-court experience, than what Kansas brings to the table. And there is a direct correlation between old teams, under Bill Self, and having success. So I don't know if you're willing to go to, uh, to put it up with those teams because, I mean, I mentioned them. 2012, 2008, 2011. I mean, those are some of the best teams Bill Self's had. But in terms of experience, this team's going to be right up there, if not at the top. Yeah. Um, does it, I don't know, scare you at all that, like, the 2005 team, that's one that you brought up there. Mm-hmm. If we have the debate over, well, what matters more, is it just career playing games? Is it just career experience? Or is it experience under Bill Self's system? Is it experience playing for Bill Self? And if that's the question, maybe you look back at the 2005 team and say, yeah, but some of those guys accumulated some of those games like an Aaron Miles, Wayne Simeon when they were with Roy Williams. I don't know if that plays yeah, into it. Yeah, well, or- you know, I don't know. I don't think about those guys as much. Like when I think about why that team struggled in 05, it's, it's less about a Simeon and Miles not having experience with Self, which probably played a factor. But it's also that... <laughs> Dude, you had, a, you had a walk-on in the starting five. Christian Moody was your starting power forward. And I'm sorry, like, uh, who was it? Um, was it Billy Packer or Bill Raftery? I can't remember which one who called him best walk-on of all time in the middle of a game. And KU fans exclaimed, oh, they called him the best of all time. And I go, okay, tell me the second best. Give me your top five. All right, it's not that. I mean, yeah, it was incredible what Christian Moody did, like, to be a walk-on and, and start all season and be a— a relatively efficient player. It was impressive. 
but also he was still a walk-on and a walk-on for a reason. And your bench was awful, man. Your bench was awful. You had Michael Lee as a senior, plus freshman Sasha Khan, freshman Darnell Jackson, freshman Russell Robinson. Like, that just wasn't a very good team. It just wasn't. It was experienced, but it wasn't very good. So to answer your question, it's not really answering your question, but I'm kind of diverting from it. There is a chance that, I guess, you could argue that this team's going to be experienced, but they're just not going to be very good. But I also think there's plenty of evidence to suggest that, no, this team will be good because guys like Remy Martin and Jalen Coleman-Lands and and Joe Yesifu, even in a small sample size, have had tremendous amounts of success elsewhere. But you can also, like, okay, so Remy, I'm I'm just playing devil's advocate here. You're going to do it for everything. I know. Remy Martin on a team that didn't win a lot of games. Uh, Jalen Coleman lands on a team that went, what, two and whatever, 23 so or something? Th- so it's their fault. You know? No, no, I'm just saying, like, it's different. It's different program, culture, coaching, all that stuff that you're going to get oh, at Kansas. Another so- buzzword. Another Throw another buzzword <laughs> in there. Uh, leadership. There we go. Leadership. Yeah. Ex- expectations um, at KU that you could be curious about. And this is the perfect test study. What matters more? Is it playing for Bill Self for a long time, or is it just playing in general so that you're older? Yeah, I think it's—I think it probably all matters. But I think if I'm ordering them, like the simply being an upperclassman, that's the part that matters the least to me. Oh, you're a senior? Congratulations. You played an average of seven minutes a game your first three years, and you started twice. Like, like Jalen Coleman-Lance is probably not going to be a starter for KU. He has 102 career starts under his bench, under his belt. He's 25 years old. That experience, in a, in a nut, one guy's experience, that to me is valuable. Remy Martin, over 80 starts under his belt, that matters. Yes, it's not under Bill Self, but the idea of learning how to play for a new coach. Dude, Jalen coleman Lance is on his fourth coach. You don't think he knows how to play for and on and on like the reason why he transferred over and over again is coach kept coaches kept getting fired. Like he went to one spot, coach gets fired. Went to the next spot, coach gets fired. He's like, I'm not gonna play for the new coach. Uh-oh. So what you think he's a coach killer? <laughs> Jalen Coleman lands as a coach killer. No, no. Well, dude, I mean We'll have to research that a little bit. No, I don't think that's the case at all. But I think he those guys, like they, they provide valuable experience and I would trust an upperclassman to figure out how to play with a new coach more than I would trust a freshman to figure out how to play with a new coach or a sophomore in his second year. Like, I don't know if it's going to be as good as those teams, but I think the floor for next year's team is going to be incredibly high. Like, that's kind of where I've landed on it. Is I don't know if this is going to be a national championship team because there's so much unknowns when you're bringing together a new roster like that. But... Like, their floor is higher than last year's team. I would say that. I don't think there's any way they're worse than last year. How about that? Is that a good start? Yeah. Team that finished second in the Big 12. That's their floor. Second in the Big 12 this year. It's a good place to start. We'll talk more about this with Jesse Newell of the Kansas City Star. He's going to join us coming up here in about 15 minutes. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk. About 20 till the hour, and this is Rock Chuck Sports Talk with Derek Johnson. I'm Nick Schwartz. Thanks for hanging out with us today. You know our next guest from the Kansas City Star, our good friend Jesse Newell with us once again on the show. Jesse, what's up, man? 
Not much, Nick. Hey, I know you got off on tangents with Matt Galloway. Hey. I'm ready. You ready, you ready for a quick tangent? Please. I've been meaning to ask you, have you watched the 60 Minutes on the UFOs? And I want to know your thoughts mm. on that. No, no. So when, did this just air a couple of weeks ago? Yeah. Like no, so ago. I haven't seen the 60 Minutes, but I have been keeping up with the news. I know that... Uh, I know that uh, Obama went on some late night show and and said that you know they're they're talking about declassifying. Aren't they going to present some uh, some classified information to Congress next month about UFOs? Is that right? Yeah, I think yeah, I think so. It just um, this thing that they're talking about. They kind of called it a tic tac and the sixty minutes thing, but basically the speed at which it moved was something like. Um, 10 times faster than the speed of light. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I, I just wonder your thoughts on it, you know? I mean, uh, it, it seems like this would be really big news and for the rest of the world and what we know now, and sometimes it's just not. So well, um, I didn't know if you believed in super, 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 super smart aliens just, you know, whipping yeah, around. I actually, heard, knowing. I actually heard today that there may be underwater UFOs. Have you guys heard about this? No. I heard that the aliens stopped by Earth because they were so mystified by David McCormick's usage rate. <laughs> I hate you. <laughs> There's a, there was a, a video, a leaked video from the Navy that just came out earlier today that showed a UFO flying, like diving directly into the ocean off the coast of San Diego from like 2019. Yeah, a lot of these 60-minute ones were the ocean. Um, you know, there's a deeper discussion here. Maybe they have a different dimension. Maybe it's humans from the future. Maybe it's aliens that look less like ants, so they just kind of whiz by us because okay. their technology is so great and all that stuff, you know, anti-gravity type stuff that our minds can't even comprehend. But, you know, I figured you'd have a take on it. You, you seem to have a take on it. Well, of I do have I a take. You, you got to watch. you got to watch this. It's like Matt Gallagher. We've got to send you out. you got to watch this movie. You got to come back and you got to report to me next week. I will do that. Actually, I didn't know there was a sixty minutes out because that's right up my alley, and I would absolutely. I've watched a lot of uh, Area Fifty One uh, documentaries. I've watched some Bob Lazar stuff, so I am well versed in this area. I guess where I come out on UFOs, and this is a somewhat, I feel like somewhat of a of a reasonable stance, is that you know. I heard somebody say once, UFO stands for unidentified object. So the reason why they're a UFO is because nobody knows what they are. And in most cases, you can attest to this, right? Let's bring it back around to sports here, Jesse. The eye test, not very reliable. Humans are not reliable when just watching something and reacting. So if someone said that looked like it was an alien, that looked like it could have been a flying saucer, you're probably, it would probably be unwise to trust that person's opinion. So that's the part of it that I just can't cope with. Like if there are UFOs, why haven't we got one good picture? Why haven't we got one good, crystal clear 4K video? Like, everything is blurry, black and white, sonar, radar. Like, give me a good 4K. I don't, it could be 1080. I don't care. Just give me something that's not grainy or even a little bit suspect. How have we not gotten that yet? Well, yeah, you got to watch the 60 Minutes one because okay. this thing that they saw, um, two of the, the pilots talked about it. And then literally it was within a minute. I, I don't want to mess up all the details. I need to watch it again. But like literally within a minute, it was 60 miles away, found on another radar. So, again, um, if it's to be believed, the sort of thing that our human minds really can't wrap our heads around, the type of technology that would make something 
go from here to there. And also, it ended up at a destination where that plane, I guess, was supposed to go later in the day. So, like, Hmm. sort of taunting it, like, hey, I know you're supposed to go over here, so I'm going to go there before you go over there. So, yeah, not not saying, just saying. Uh, But you definitely need to check this out, Nick. This is up your alley. So I'm I'm really smart and I understand parts of Tenet. Um, what if it's just the that technology where it's like going backward in time? Oh yeah, have you thought about that, Jesse? Did they bring that up? Yeah, I mean, sixty minutes didn't really bring it up. But if you want your mind blown, uh, and this can be the people out there listening too, the sixty minutes on I, they call it UAPs, but you know if you type in UFO, you'll get it on YouTube. If you go to the comment section of this sixty minutes segment. Um, it's been bothering my wife that I like every week I like check in back to the comment section of that. So you're hooked. Where these really, hooked. really, really, really smart people go and like try to explain what it might be and how the technology might work. And again, it's just like an explosion of the mind every time I'm on there. So um, I'm not sure how long I can stay married and continue to do that. Okay, so this is, no, now, now we're getting yeah, somewhere, though. But now we're, you never do this, Jesse. You never just bring up subjects that you want to talk about, especially non-sports <laughs> subjects. So the fact that you're bringing this up, now we're getting to the crux of it. You have been mindlessly obsessing over this, haven't you? Uh, I'm, I'm just fascinated, you know, and especially if the government says, kind of shrugs his shoulders and says, we don't know what this is. Um, I'm with you, Nick. It seems like a lot of the people, hey, you know, uh, I was abducted, they beamed me up. You know, that that's not too credible to me. But, you know, when government officials come out and these pilots come out and say, we don't know what it is, and it gets declassified information, and, and everybody just kind of shrugs their shoulders, um, it's fascinating. And like I said, we all think, it, everybody, everybody in the moment thinks they're technologically advanced, you know, like, oh, man, we, we have so many things we do well. We are, our medicine is so advanced, our technology, we have cars, we have planes, all that stuff. Um, to think about some sort of ship that's going at uh, the G-forces that that thing potentially was going at and somehow creating sort of an anti-gravity sort of force around it inside of our elements, uh, that's a, that, that, if, that, if that's the case, it's only about a million years ahead of our technology. So it's at least fascinating to think about. Yeah, they said the underwater UFOs, uh, the ones that they, they reportedly the, the Navy leaked, were going hundreds of knots which I don't know the not to mile per hour conversion rate, but seems pretty fast. So I'm interested. I'm intrigued, and I will report back. And I'm glad you brought it to my attention because I had no idea it was on 60 Minutes. So I'm going to have that bookmarked for later, and uh, I will report back to you next week. So thank you, Jesse. Check out the comments, too. There you go. Okay. Yeah, because what could go wrong with living on comment sections of websites, right? That's always where you find the best content. (laughs) This is this is the good comment section here. Okay. This is okay. this is the smart people commenting. You know what they're talking about. <laughs> okay. Gotcha. Gotcha. <laughs> hey man, um, not to bring the mood down too much, but um, you know, we were just kind of talking about Larry Keating earlier and just how incredible he was at what he did specifically at KU. I mean, he had a successful career as an athletic director at Seton Hall and administrator at several conferences, but what he did at Kansas as basically the scheduling guru as he's been sort of dubbed. I know you you wrote about it at times, and you, you paid a lot of attention to what Kansas did by scheduling and the advantages they got from it. If you were to best describe how Larry Keating did what he did and what made him so good, how would you do it? Well, yeah, you know, I tweeted about this a few minutes ago, and what was so funny about Larry Keating is he would always kind of get after me for having an analytics lean, you know, for talking too much about the analytics and the numbers. And he always kind of, 
he would always poo-poo on Ken Palm. That was kind of one of his favorite things to do. But it, it was funny to me because before those sites came out and before all those all that stuff became mainstream, Larry Keating was doing analytical work in a different way and figuring out and manipulating KU's schedule in a way that gave KU an advantage. It's just he was doing it because he was so smart himself. You know what I mean? Like, he, he didn't need Ken Palm to tell him. He kind of figured these things out on his own before other people were figuring it out on their own. And if you remember back in the day, Nick, the number one thing, and, and you know, and somebody would push back against this, but it was totally true. The number one ranking that influenced where you were, and it basically lined up every year. Larry would tell me this all the time. He goes, you go and you look at the NCAA tournament scenes and you line up the team's RPI with that. It's almost identical. So you can have a selection committee. They can say whatever they want. But at the end of the day, they're lining teams up basically by RPI. So how do you game the RPI, basically, is the question you go to. And how Larry Keating did it for Kansas was um, half of the RPI. So 25% was your win percentage. 50% was your opponent's win percentage. And then 25% was your opponent's opponent's win percentage. So 50% of that of what you are being judged by, is the winning percentage of your opponents. So Larry, in his mind, again, without a lot of analytics, without people telling him what to do, what he figured out was this. How do you face teams that are going to win a bunch of games and still keep it sort of competitive for you know Kansas fans who want to have those games out in the field house and don't want complete blowouts in the field house? You play the best teams in bad conferences. Okay, so if you go down the line with Kansas, how many times did they face a team like Vermont at Allen Fieldhouse? How many times did you hear... A guy like Chris Piper come on the radio on, on the TV and say, "Hey, this team, KU's got to watch out. They're predicted first in the Atlantic Sun, in the you know, big mm-hmm. yeah. whatever the case may be." And so, what Larry would do is he would load up KU's schedule with those teams that at the end of the season they'd be twenty-three and five, twenty-four and six, twenty-one and eight, all those sorts of things. And he'd figure that out before the season and uh, put those in KU's schedule. And all of a sudden, at the end of the year. KU was laughing the field when it came to RPI because they could pick their schedule, they could call up these opponents, those opponents would happily come to Kansas, and those teams would not win at Kansas, but they would boost up the RPI afterwards because they had good records. So that's sort of what Larry Keating did in a nutshell. And like I said, I was kind of entertaining when we had analytics discussions because the guy was so smart, he was doing analytical things just based off of the life and work experiences he had. So a pretty sharp dude, and he'll definitely be missed. So to take people behind the scenes a little bit, you know, on game days at Allen Fieldhouse, there's a little media workroom where most people will go in and either drop their stuff off and and start, you know, working or just kind of killing time before the game actually starts. And a lot of times there'll be a meal where they bring in pizza or Chipotle or whatever. And there's these just it's basically like a like a cafeteria for grownups, right? There's just a bunch of tables set up and people just kind of sit there and shoot the breeze and. There's a TV on usually with games, and, and Larry Keating would always be in there. And at first, when I first started this job, I didn't even know who he was. But he carries a presence because big guy talks with this, I mean, the thickest New York East Coast accent, right? And he sounds different in a room full of people mostly from Kansas, you know what I mean? And you could tell that he knew what he was talking about before I even knew who he was because he's always holding court and talking and debating, like in your case, a lot of times you could get him going on whatever and he would engage you in any sort of college basketball discussion because you knew that that guy was scouting Wofford or Pacific or was looking out for them, probably had them circled on a piece of paper somewhere thinking like, okay, well, if they have a good season, maybe that's a team 
that we should be playing a year or two from now. But he's just uh, he was such a fun guy to sort of engage and debate and argue with and those because he would he'd talk about whatever you wanted to talk about if it was uh, relating to college hoops. Yeah, you're right. He was it lasted a long time in Kansas too. You know, it's a part of the original Lou Perkins regime where um, you know Lou brought a bunch of those guys he knew from the East Coast. And uh, you're right, kind of an oversized personality uh, was Larry, and uh, easy to talk to, and a complete straight shooter. I mean, he would not, you know, um, he would not lie to you. He would tell you what he was thinking. He was telling you tell you what he was feeling, and uh, was no would not hold back on his opinion. So, uh, yeah, definitely a one of a kind. Uh, guy loved to golf. Um, obviously, you know, probably didn't uh, get as much to do with that as he wanted to at, at KU. Got, got some of it done, but didn't retire until a couple of years ago. But, uh, yeah, just a great guy to be around. And, you know, more and more it's, it's, it's fascinating the, what college athletics is morphing into because you're seeing more and more of um, athletic departments turn to, turning into sort of more like PR departments rather than, um, you know, sort of the old regime where it's um, kind of the – you know, the old guard, which is, hey, you know, Larry Keating's going to tell you what it is, how it is. He's got all this experience with other people. He has relationships in the industry. And so um, it shifted a little bit since then, I would say, in the last two years. But uh, as we talked about, uh, he was he was definitely one of a kind and a great person to talk to in those pregame meals. Like you said, he was holding court. And um, that's a sense. He'll definitely be missed and uh, would miss around these parts after he did retire. Before I let you go, Jesse, I want to talk a little bit um, KU Hoops next year's team. I, I was looking this up earlier today, and if if Ochai comes back, KU will have a combined 399 starts at the Division One level from players on their roster. And that's a really big number. I mean, I went back and, and looked at all the teams that Bill Self's had at Kansas, and the only one that even comes close would be 08. They had 288 combined starts coming into that season. But it, I, know, I know you're familiar with you know, Ken Palm's experience, which basically just looks at the experience, the amount of years you've been in college basketball on the court, or the minutes continuity have you played together before? Well, we know the minutes continuity is going to be bad for this team. The minutes continuity is going to be bad for every team in the country because it seems like everybody is having some sort of roster overhaul or, or bigger changes than usual because of the transfer portal. But when you look at experience, like how do you quantify valuable experience? Do you look at this team and say, okay, that's going to be valuable because... They've been around, they've played a lot of games, they've started a lot of games, they've played meaningful minutes in college basketball. Or is it more about, have you been with Bill Self, have you played with one another? Yeah, I go with the latter. And you're right, returning minutes can be an important thing. And I know a lot of fans, I mean, it's, it's easy to do. You sort of get locked up. I think Chiefs fans have done this a lot this offseason. You sort of get, your head starts spinning with all these transactions and you think about, well, what happened lately? Who did Bill Self get lately? Well, they lost out on these three guys. And in all reality... Um, if Ochai did come back, the reason to be optimistic about Kansas basketball next year is exactly what you mentioned. They would return four starters, and you would expect all four of those starters, if college basketball continues like it always has, you would expect all those guys to get a little bit better in their next season. And so, you know, we've seen experienced teams lately. I mean, Gonzaga was an experienced team. Did pretty well. Baylor was an experienced team. Did pretty well. That sort of thing. So I think the most optimistic you would be about Kansas is you would say, hey, if those guys return or four guys with Ochai Abaji come back, KU has this great mix of, hey, you brought in these new pieces, you think they can fit in here and here and here, they filled the point guard spot with Remy Martin, but more than anything else, they had productive players at the high Division One college basketball level 
And those guys are coming back for another season, and you know what you have with those players coming back. You mentioned that. Bartorov excited. says 71% of KU's returning minutes at this moment are coming back, including Ochai Abaji. So uh, it kind of goes back to the roster crunch we talked about. All these new guys, not that many minutes to fight for, especially if Ochai comes back. Um, but if that's the case, um, it'll, be, <laughs> it'll be fascinating. Um, you know, because Kansas, as we mentioned before, they can make a name for themselves on the transfer market with the immediate eligibility in future years. But this is the year they can kind of hit that happy medium where they can bring back a bunch of guys and also fill in some holes on the roster. And if all that comes together, it could be a really nice season in Lawrence. And at KU should be a preseason top five and potentially a number one seed. We've seen that from them a lot of years lately. He is Jesse Newell, Kansas City star. Jesse, thank you for the time. I will uh, be back with my report on the UFOs next week, okay? Sounds great, Nick. I'm expecting it. All right, you got it, man. That is Jesse Newell of the Kansas City Star. He's Derek Johnson. I'm Nick Schwert. This is Rock Chuck Sports Talk. You already know that if you need a car wash, you need to go to Tommy's Express Car Wash. They've got all the tools and expertise to keep your car clean, both inside and on the outside. You want it clean inside because if anybody gets in your car, they're not going to want it look like a pigsty. Plus, you're going to want it clean of all those germs. You want it clean on the outside because if you're going to be pulling up in somebody's neighborhood, maybe going to see a friend, they're going to see the outside of your car and go, wow. This guy, he knows what he's doing with his car washes. That's because Tommy's Express Car Wash is going to take care of you. Their wash packages let you pay for the services you want, including Tommy Guard and Body Wax. That's right. Have it looking real spiffy. Wheel cleaning and tire gloss. Underbody flush and spot-free rinse and vacuums as well. If you're like me, you have a dog. I have a golden retriever. She sheds so much. So I need the vacuums at Tommy's Express Car Wash, and boy, do they have them. They do them right. That's wash, rinse, repeat with Tommy's Express Car Wash. And don't forget to download the Tommy Club app today and enjoy endless washing for one low price. That's at Tommy's Express Car Wash. That means it's time for another edition of the NFL Whip Around. Yep, let's go. There's a lot going on. There's a lot going on which is weird for this time of the year. First up, if then, I give you the if scenario. You tell me the then. Deshaun Watson cannot be deposed before February 22nd of 2022, which means that's after the whole season. So if the Texans (laughs) start him. Yeah, it is. (laughs) If the Texans decide to start him, then. Then nobody will care because that's the way it works. There will be a small section of people who say that you can't start him, but I'm not even saying this as a positive. It sucks. But, like, if there's not video of this guy, we'll kind of forget about it. Like, with Kareem Hunt, you couldn't ignore it. Why? Because there was video. With Tyreek Hill, you had the audio. Joe Mixon, video. Ray Rice, video. If there is video, it's easier for us to look at it and say, he's clearly a bad person. But even if it's two dozen women who come forward and say, yeah, he pretty much did the same thing to all of us. He sexually harassed us. He made me touch his penis. Uh, He told me not to tell anybody. I thought I was there to give him a massage. He kept moving my hand towards his groin. You know, that kind of stuff. Because that's what everybody said about Deshaun Watson whenever he would book a massage. That's not enough. That's not enough. We have to have video in order for us to really point to him and say, you know what, maybe he shouldn't be in the NFL. But hell, I mean, even Antonio Brown, who's like one of the most vile human beings ever, is still getting a shot in the league. So, there's no way, I'm just going to hear, I'm just here to tell you right now, there's no way, unless this turns into a Darren Sharper thing, there's no way 
that he's done in the league. He's going to start every game for the Texans this year. I don't think you can start him. That's I mean, okay, what? Suspend him for a month. He'll start twelve games then. Uh, what do you? No, because are you asking if the Texans are going to bench him, or are you asking if the league is going to step in and suspend him? The Texans aren't going to bench him. The Texans will not bench him. I think the league has to come in and do something. What are they going to do? But then again, like that is a sticky situation because they what gave if- Kareem Hunt eight games yeah. for one incident with no, video. I, I, I guess I mean you're kind of right because you know what happens if Deshaun Watson when this goes to court, I would assume he gets written out like he's he's innocent. You know, like they find that there was something wrong from the other side and he's completely innocent, and then he would have missed a year if you just suspend him preemptively. Mm-hmm. That wouldn't be okay. So I guess you're right. He kind of would have to start. Which is going to be really bad if he starts the whole year. Imagine if he like wins MVP, they go to the Super Bowl or something. Okay, that, that, that's not going to happen because their team is <laughs> lousy. But when they won four games last year, and he was really good, it's still going to be really bad because that's going to be what a week or two after the of Super Bowl. Of course, it's too? really bad, but just kind of what we get, you know. Yeah. All right, uh, Trevor Lawrence says that Tim Tebow is a guy you want to be around. He said he looks great so far, and he also said no one will work harder than him. We found a way to put Tim Tebow back in the NFL whip round to your chagrin. If Trevor Lawrence and Tim Tebow have a special connection, then. It's almost as if Tim Tebow's like, okay, Trevor, rookie hazing. So here's how it's going to work. This is exactly what you're going to tell the media. (laughs) Tell them no one's going to outwork me. Tell them I'm a guy you want to be around. And tell them I look great. Who knows? Who's got Urban Myers here better than I do? I, he's, he gave me a damn roster spot. I haven't been in the league for eight years. <laughs> Clearly, I have a special connection with the coach. If you want to have a special connection with the coach, you're going to do as I say, rookie. Wow. Any chance that that's happening? Mm, zero. This is a part of a hazing ritual for Tim Tebow to Trevor Lawrence. Because when Trevor Lawrence says that, people are going to go, oh, wait a minute. Yeah. Maybe he is a guy you want to be around. Well, I think it, it is important hmm. to bring up, you know, Tim Tebow, one Heisman Trophy, Trevor Lawrence, zero. So, right. I, I mean, right. Who's the yeah, more maybe accomplished you have a little, Yeah. As of now, as of today. Correct. Who is the more accomplished quarterback? Answer the question. Yeah. Tim Tebow, more playoff wins, you know. And nothing's guaranteed in the NFL. We know no. that much. There's Trevor no guarantee. Lawrence could retire tomorrow. I right. Don't know. Tim Tebow hazes him out of football. <laughs> it's like, I can't take it anymore. Uh, if they have a special connection, then. Tim Tebow's making the roster. Yeah, but I think He's beyond throw that, it to him in preseason a lot. hell will freeze over. Stop this, man. We'll get him in on the next one, too. Uh, the NFL and the NFLPA have agreed to a salary cap ceiling. This comes from Dan Graziano. $208.2 million for the 2022 season. So if it does reach that, that's just a ceiling. It doesn't have to get there. It won't be there necessarily exactly, but that's what the tops it could be. That would be a 14% increase over what the salary cap is for this upcoming season, the 2021 season of $182.5 million. So if the salary cap does not or does hit that ceiling at $208.2 million. Throw another number at me. Christ. If it goes up by that much, then what for the Chiefs? (laughs) Okay. uh, There's a lot of number crunching. How about you? Couldn't you have just said the salary cap's probably going up by $25 million? Sure. Then what does that mean for the Chiefs? Well, I think first order of business because you've got Tyron Matthew on an expiring deal. Tyreek Hill needs a new contract. 
Chris Jones is going to need a new contract. But before you get to any of those guys, you know what you're doing? You're extending Orlando Jones. Orlando Brown. Orlando Jones, I believe, is the actor from The Replacements, and he did the 7-Up commercials. (laughs) Orlando Brown is the Pro Bowl left tackle that you just traded for. And he's on an expiring deal as well. Now, you can franchise tag him, but he's 24. He has no injury history. He's playing at a Pro Bowl level. And now he's protecting the most valuable asset in the history of the NFL. You know what that means? That means Orlando Jones is going to be made by the Chiefs or anyone else the highest paid offensive lineman in the history of the NFL. That is going to happen. I would imagine because you just gave up a first round pick to get him, you probably have intentions of making him the highest paid offensive lineman in the history of the NFL. So that's first. From there, in in, in the pecking order of, okay, you've got an expanded salary cap. This is big. And this is honestly why you're not going after Julio Jones. Okay? Because I know a lot of people want to know. Like, should the Chiefs just go all in and do it? No, you can't do it. You can't do it. Because if you do that, then one of the guys I'm about to mention, they don't get extended. Orlando Brown, left tackle, pretty important position. Tyree Kill, best deep threat in the NFL, younger than Julio Jones, probably a little bit cheaper. Uh, I would, I mean, one-on-one to one. Julio Jones, Tyree Kill, who would you rather have? And remember, and remember, please, that like, there's a developed, established report. I'm not saying it wouldn't be a very easy one with Julio Jones and, and Patrick Mahomes because they're two of the best at what they do. But I'm just saying, to think that the rapport between Julio and Mahomes could be better than Tyreek Hill, it makes, it's not grounded in reality because it's impossible to have a better rapport than what Mahomes and Hill have had. But what if they decide in that situation, I don't know, here's, here's something. Julio would be making $15 million this year, $11 million the next two years after that. So you'd really have him on a three-year, $37 million deal, you're going to have to pay Tyreek Hill more than that. What if they said, you know, we'll just let Tyreek Hill Tyree walk into the contract. Tyreek Hill's, what, six years younger? We think that Julio Jones, a bigger receiver, he's not going to be as reliant on his speed as he ages. I don't think they'd do it. I'm just No, they're not. I, I, I don't even, I'll be, I'll be honest, I don't even think the Chiefs are in the top 10 of teams who are actively pursuing him because they got too many guys that need yeah. to get paid. Because... If it's like Julio Jones and then let's figure out how to scrap the rest of it together, or if it's Orlando Brown, Tyreek Hill, and maybe Tyra Matthew before you get to Tyreek Hill, because in, in level of importance, I've said this a million times, you don't always re-sign your best players, but you always re-sign your leaders. The leaders, you have to find a way to make them fit. And Tyra Matthew is one of the leaders, not just of the defense, but of the team. You're going to find a way to keep him around. So I think you extend those guys. You probably have to let Chris Jones walk. You probably cut Frank Clark. But the casualties are going to be much lesser. I mean, think about it like this. If it's going up, if it does go up to $208 million next year, the year after that is going to go up again. So that's when those extensions are going to start kicking in for the Chiefs. And that's what's really important is... This It doesn't really matter. We knew the cap was going to go up because we knew that this year was going to be the lowest it's ever been. But it's the largest increase from one year to the next, and I would guess the next year is going to be just as sizable. I think they said it uh, the year after that would be around $220 yeah, million. Yeah, so another $18 million. Yeah. Yeah, bump, that'd be pretty significant. Are they good? So on the trade market, the Patriots, if they get Julio Jones, are they good? Uh, no, because they couldn't pass the ball last year. He would significantly enhance that. But 
you wonder if Cam Newton was capable of throwing the ball down the field, then why didn't they let him throw? Why did they use him as a running back? Like, that was a power run offense with Cam Could Newton. Could have been a home. receiver thing? So now Julio I mean, Jones. Their number one last year was what, Jacoby Myers? Well, maybe that's part of it is you just say, okay, well, at least Cam can just throw back and, and chuck it 40 yards downfield to Julio. Do that 15 times a game. Is that sound like a good team to you? doesn't to me. No. They're not good with Julio Jones. Uh, I think they're... That's why the Patriots, of all the teams that have been linked to Julio, they make the least amount of sense to me. Also, you're trying to develop a, a young quarterback. Even if you're going to let him sit for a year, like you got a guy coming in and saying, no, I'm going there to play with Cam. It does complicate things a little bit. Yeah, I I kind of think that they... Julio don't want to play with Mac Jones. I think they would be. Um, I think, as is, they were what? Like a 7-9 team last year? They had so many guys opt out, especially on the defensive side of the ball. When you look at like Patrick Chung and Dante Hightower, players that are going to come back this year and all of a sudden make the defense a little bit better. So if with the spending spree that they had in free agency, then you add Julio Jones, I think you're probably looking at like a nine or a 10 win team, which with Belichick. Oh, hell no. Hell no. They're not winning 10 games. I don't think it's that crazy. Get real. I think they're going to be worse this year. Than they were last year. Yes. Even with all the players coming back, even with the yes. free agent spending spree. Yes. Wow. I think they are a six-win team. Okay. Yep. I Heard would it gladly here first. take the over on that. Heard it here first, losers. Uh, the Las Vegas Raiders. Are they good if they get Julio Jones? No. But it would be the perfect move for John Gruden to make. Like, just mortgage the future. And go after another flashy toy. It'd be the most Raiders thing ever. It'd be the most John Gruden thing ever. Because again, I don't think it addresses the main issue, which is do you believe in the guy at quarterback? I don't. Do you? Does anybody? Like that should be the position you're looking to upgrade. They had a decent receiving core. I think it was made it was overblown early in the season. Oh, after they beat the Chiefs, and everyone's like, oh, well, maybe this team's a little bit better. I'm like, what? Nelson Aguilar and Henry Ruggs and Darren Waller, like, no, stop it. Stop it. They would immediately become relevant, but I don't think it'd make them a good team. Mm, yeah. I, I have a tough time seeing that they would be better than, obviously, the Chiefs, and, and even still with Julio Jones, even the Chargers in the own division. So if you're third in the division, yeah, you could still be good, but odds are... I guess further against it, uh-huh. so probably not. Probably what you were last year, you know, around a seven to nine win team, somewhere in that range. Uh, the Colts with Julio Jones, are they good? Okay, this is the first one where I think it makes perfect sense. Like the teams that I would be circling for perfect fit, teams could use him immediately enhances their ability, their their ceiling. The Colts are chief. It's the Colts, the Chargers, um, Niners. Would be awesome. What if the Cardinals do it? Overkill? I did see DeAndre Hopkins yeah. tweet about that. Listen, the Colts would be perfect because right now you don't really have any options on the outside. You've got T.Y. Hilton, who's finally going to have a quarterback who can get it downfield to him after playing with Phillip Rivers last year. Uh, you got Michael Pittman Jr., who seems to be a pretty good young prospect. Um, who's the Who's the other guy? That Paris Campbell, mm-hmm. another young wide receiver. So you've got some pieces there, but nothing really jumps out to you. Carson Wentz, like, getting the lifeline of now being able to throw it up to Julio Jones, that would mitigate a lot of the concerns that you have with Carson Wentz because Wentz, like, seems to be in control but just the worst decision maker, right? He's just, like, kind of got a little bit of Jameis Winston to him. Um, You basically have a 
a one-year window to make it work for Carson Wentz and Indy. So if that's the case and you're going all in on it, I don't think Julio would be a bad idea. Plus, you've got the cap space to do it. I think if the Colts go after him, it'd be a very volatile... Like, I could see it going either way, right? You could see them winning four games, but I could also see them all of a sudden finding a really good rapport between a guy we thought was, you know, the next coming in Carson Wentz and Julio Jones. So I, I would say yes, but it also has the... It has the it's just a, a large window of outcomes there. Yes, but I also think you could argue the Colts are good as is, based on the defense, based on the running game. I the mean, Colts are interesting year. as is, but they were good last year, and that was with Philip Rivers, an old Philip Rivers, Carson Wentz. I don't know; he might be better, he might be worse. But is it going to be like that much worse than what you got from Philip Rivers last year? I don't know. So I I think they're like goodish right now. So if they added Julio Jones, yeah. certainly. Okay, last one: the match is returning in mm. early July, except this time, no Peyton Manning. He got the boot for Aaron Rodgers, who is going to be playing with Bryson DeChambeau against Tom Brady and Phil Mickelson. Is the match good? The match is good. Mm-hmm. This is maybe the best installment we've seen of it. Phil at an all-time well, popularity high. He just won. What? Isn't this the second installment? Well, no, the first one was just oh, Phil, versus, like- Phil versus That's Tiger. Right. That was okay. it, remember? And then they brought in... Steph Curry and... Yeah. I mean, come on. What are we doing here? But this one's good. This one's good. Uh, Aaron Rodgers, Tom Brady. Already a lot of trash talking on social media. I don't know anything about Aaron Rodgers' golf game. I assume it's good. Every quarterback seems to be good at golf. Every quarterback is good at golf. Like, it's just... It's puzzling to me. Uh, the trash talking going on was started by Tom Brady. Then you got Brooks Kepka getting involved. He tweets at Aaron Rodgers... Sorry, bro. DeChambeau comes back. So this is spilling over from the actual match, and now Kepka's sort of wrangling it and taking it over. And Phil Mickelson weighed in, said that he would get – he feels like he's in the middle of this and he should step aside, but they're looking for the current PGA champ to uh, participate in the match. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I'll watch it. It's just kind of sort of mindless sports entertainment, but they keep making money off of it, so let's keep doing it. Yeah, I was entertained with the one last year, and – and who knows, maybe that was just entertaining because it was, oh, there's live sports yeah. and there's nothing else going on right now during COVID and everything. So I guess this will be the true test of that if this has somewhere to stay. But I actually think that this could be a really interesting pairing. You know, as, as much as we make about Phil versus Tiger and just like, I guess, them playing for so long against each other, Tiger Woods wasn't really that entertaining on it. It was no. just, it's Tiger Woods, so it's like kind of cool. But, like, I think Bryson DeChambeau, I'm not a big Bryson fan, but, like, he'll be entertaining on this. He'll talk a lot. We know Phil was entertaining. We know Tom was entertaining. Aaron Rodgers will be interesting because I can see him making a lot of, like, you know, kind of his snide remarks. I don't know how well that'll go over on TV. I don't know about that pairing. I don't know about that pairing between Rodgers and DeChambeau. But I'm interested. So, yes, I'll say it's good. Better than Kirk Cousins, Aaron Rodgers currently is in Hawaii with Shailene Woodley. Aaron Rodgers, if he never practiced ever again, he just stayed in Hawaii, did things in Hawaii, but then he just randomly showed up on game days. Would he still Wait, be better? Wait, so he's still flying back to yes. Hawaii in between on games? On Saturday and gets there Saturday night and then stays the night in Green Bay or wherever they're playing. Is he still better than Kirk Cousins? Aaron Rodgers flying back and forth to Hawaii between games. Well, he has the whole week in He's between. throwing for 35 touchdowns and seven interceptions. <laughs> okay, so better than Kirk Cousins. Yeah. Oh, well over 4,500 yeah. yards. Yeah, agreed. Devontae Adams is having another incredible season. Yeah. Okay, that was a quick one. Uh, Sam Darnold 
specifically playing his style of ball. Oh, okay. Yeah. What's his style uh, of ball? On the team's official website, he said, you can't be thinking about doing something a different way. I've got to play my style of ball. That's why they brought me here. Play my style of ball and make plays the way I do. So just get out of the way and let Sam Darnold ball. Well, I mean, to be fair to Sam Darnold, he was playing under Adam Gaze, maybe the worst offensive coordinator the game's ever seen. I mean, honestly, it's pretty bad. And they were stifling his his growth. I'm not saying it's going to work with Sam Darnold, but I'm saying it was never going to work in New York. So you get a fresh start. You've got good receivers. Probably a little bit less expectations. You're not in New York City. They didn't spend a, a high draft pick on you. Like they're just hoping this sort of works out. And if not, you know what's going to happen? If you tank, guess what? They're going to draft a quarterback in the first round next year. And then Matt Rule will get his guy. So, uh, Sam Darnold playing his style of ball. Is it better than Kirk Cousins? I highly doubt it. Because, again, like, is Sam Darnold going to all of a sudden... Like, what's the ceiling for Sam Darnold? 24 touchdowns and 12 picks? <laughs> yeah, That's I not better than Cousins. Yeah, no, I, I agree. He does have some good receivers Do you think him, there's so. any chance that Darnold just pops this year and goes from goes to, like, a, a 30, 34 touchdowns? No, 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 not to that. I think he will have his best year when you look at, you know, the scheme around him with Joe Brady and the receivers and the uh-huh. weapons and stuff. But like, I traded Sam no. Darnold in the Dynasty League. Basically for Najee Harris. Yeah, like by best year Sam Darnold's so ever do that had. One. Do, do that one for me. Okay. Better than Najee Harris. Sam Darnold no. playing his style of ball. No. Okay, cool. I'm still set then. <laughs> uh, Carson Wentz, we mentioned it with Indianapolis. Michael Pittman says he's focused. He says he's on a mission. So, knowing that now about Wait. Carson Wentz, <laughs> Wait, is man, he Michael, better than Kirk Cousins? Michael Pittman said that about Carson Wentz? Yes. Well, before I was kind of wondering, like, is he just rudderless? Does he even care? But now that I know he's on a mission, it kind of makes me rethink it. Carson Wentz had 16 touchdowns, 15 interceptions. The offensive line play was bad. They had almost no weapons to throw to. That was a dysfunctional organization. This is a very functional organization. I like the landing spot. It's not like the perfect scenario for, uh, you know, in terms of weapons, but you got a great offensive line. You've got a really nice weapon out of the backfield. In Jonathan Taylor, and as we mentioned earlier, um, you've got some some pieces on the outside. They're not great. 16 touchdowns, 15 interceptions last year. But I would guess we're going to see up in the mid-20 range and back towards, you know, 9, 10, 11 interceptions. Still not better than Kirk Cousins, though. Sorry. Yeah, agreed. Not better than Kirk Cousins. All right. Final two segments. Wow, Kirk with a clean sweep there. Yeah. Is that that? There's no way that... Ever have no way you lost Aaron Rodgers. Just kidding. Okay, uh, this is who's older under thirty edition. I've been pretty hot lately. You have San Francisco 49ers quarterback Jimmy G or Arizona tight end Ross Travis. Oh, Ross Travis. Wait a minute. Didn't he go play basketball for Stanford? Penn State. You're thinking of Reed Travis. I Brothers. Maybe. Oh, for sure. Okay. Yeah, they're twins. Actually, um, <laughs> I'll say Ross Travis. He's younger. It's who's older. Please rephrase. Sir. Jimmy Garoppolo's older. Thank you. You would have lost if that was Jeopardy. Okay. I hope you know that. Uh, Dallas linebacker Jalen Smith used to wear number 54. Changed his jersey. He's going to wear nine this year. Cool. Cool. He to spend cool. six figures to buy out all the jerseys. Or San Francisco 49ers linebacker Fred Warner. Oh, but Fred Warner's good. Mm, very good. So is Jalen. Two of the best inside linebackers in the game. How about that? Jalen Smith's probably 27, 26, 27. Fred Warner, I don't know. But I'll say Jalen Smith's older. Jalen Smith's 25. Fred Warner, though, is 24. Let's go, let's go. 
2-0 start. Which one would you rather have? Oh, Fred Warner. Okay, cool. Sure. Uh, Green Bay defensive end, Dean Lowry, or Philadelphia special teams coach, Michael Clay. Dean Lowry. Michael Clay is the youngest coordinator, offense, defense, or special teams, but he is still older than Dean Lowry. Dean Lowry is 26. Clay is 29. Dallas quarterback, Dak Prescott, or Atlanta wide receiver, Taji Sharp. Oh, man. I should know this. Dak's got to be 27, 28. When did he come in the league? 2015, 16? Twenty-seven, probably. Tajay Sharp, hell if I know. He's been around for a while. He's just always stinking it up Chiefs in Tennessee. Cut him. Got signed by Atlanta like yesterday. I'll say he's older. He's twenty-six. Prescott's twenty-seven. Man, all right. This for a winning week. Minnesota linebacker Eric Kendricks or newly released Texans quarterback Ryan Finley. Eric Kendricks is older. Winning week, 3-2, and two, Kendricks 29, Finley 26. Can't keep me down. Final segment, where are they at? Former Arizona, Cleveland, and last year Kansas City Chiefs tight end slash receiver. Ricky Seals-Jones signed yesterday with a new team. Where he at? Ricky Seals-Jones signed with the Texans. The Do- football team. Oh, I was going to guess the Dolphins next. Okay. Washington? Yep. That's where he at, huh? That's the NFL Whip Room, and this is Rock Chalk Sports Talk. Yeah! Indy 500 this weekend in Indianapolis. Did I get that one right? That is correct. Bam! Do you know how many laps? Well, there's 500 miles, mm. and each each lap is what? A uh, half a mile? What is it? Quarter mile track? Is it a half mile track? What are we working with here? It is 200 laps. So that would be what? Two and a half mile track? That's a big track. Two and a half mile one way around. That would take me uh, over 10 minutes? <laughs> over 12 minutes? I don't know. If you're going 12 minutes for two and a half miles, you are, you are very quick. I'm cruising? Okay, yeah. so get 15. Ballpark it. Still really good. Indy 500, great race. Great race. Love seeing the Indy cars. Right? <laughs> One of the funnest races around top five. Top oh. five race. Wow. Uh, mark that down. Hold me to that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't have room for it on Let's Rank stuff tomorrow. I've already It's already spoken for. But uh, let's just go ahead and bookmark that for later. Okay. Races. Top ten mm-hmm. races. By the way, speaking of another possible Let's Rank stuff, did you know tomorrow... We're not doing this either. National Popsicle Day. Mm. Popsicle, or it's a grape popsicle day. So popsicle flavors. Well, that one. It'd have to be grape number one. Yeah, I don't need to dedicate an entire segment to popsicle flavors. Okay, we could do that and I could do it right now, but I won't. We don't have time because it's time for another game to get you ready for the Indianapolis 500. One of those events where unless you're a racing buff, you just watch it. You don't really know anybody who's in it. It's just sort of an event like the Kentucky Derby, which is why it's perfect for another one of these games. We haven't even really dubbed these games any certain name. It's just called Game. Yeah, it's a new name every single time. What's the name of today's game? Indy 500 driver or actor slash actress in movies with Shailene Woodley. Wait a minute. Shailene Woodley is Aaron Rodgers' fiance or just girlfriend? I don't know which of the two it is, but right now they're living it up in Hawaii. 
as we referred to earlier in the NFL Whip Around. So these are actors or actresses that have been in movies with Shailene Correct. Woodley. And I these, can only name a few movies she's been but in. But these aren't, I made sure these aren't like guys who, oh, he played the sous chef in the background or something. In okay. These are like other top-notch actors or actresses in those movies. But that won't make this much easier. This is probably the most difficult one we've done. So so we do these in a college football yes. format. Just if you're, you're new to the format, we'll go through. We have 12 different scheduled out like a college football season. We'll have your non-conference schedule, your first three games. Then you'll have your conference schedule. Depending on how you do, we'll decide if you make it to the conference championship game, a bowl game, the college football playoff. You have consistently gone around nine and five, but you did have one breakthrough I've got a year. lot of conference championships. Yes, where you won the national title. And you I do have, have a, a national title under my belt. So I'm like Bob Stoops. Mm -hmm. A lot of conference championships, only one title, but you know. Still have that one title, but you went from winning that title to last game you went eight and six. I think. I think Bob Stoops has had down down season. Sure, but fans are wondering if it's starting a decline. Yeah, but that's you know, fair that's because Bob Stoops was on the hot seat seemingly every year for a decade, and guess what? He still went out on his own terms, and that's the way it's going to be for me. <laughs> All right, first up, this is your week one. This is your uh, your cakewalk, so mm -hmm. to speak. I can't name your one any. I can't name one driver, not one. Maybe. Yeah. It, Helio Castroneves? I do not have him on here. I don't know if that's a driver. Uh, week one, Juan Pablo Montoya. That's a driver. There you go. I knew that. He is 30 to 1 odds. So you did know one in the Indy 500. Marco Andretti. That is also a driver. His father, I would assume, Mario Andretti. All right. Uh, Mario Andretti is mean, like the most I famous like driver Andretti ever. Andretti is probably a pretty common name. He, no, it's not. It's a driving name. Come on. Mario Andretti? You don't know Mario Andretti? It sounds familiar, but I'm just saying. Man, like, I know more about indie cars than no, you do. No, but it, it could be like, you know, like the last name Thompson in Italy. Like, that could just be like a popular last name. How do you know they're not, you know, okay. well, random people? Well, they, they aren't. In this case, they weren't. Okay. So, All right, week three, Scott Dixon. Scott Dixon. Is it D-I-C-K-S-O-N or is it D-I-X-O-N? D-I-X-O-N. So the traditional spelling. Correct. Please clarify that next time. I okay. need to know... Spelling. Oh, by the way, Andretti's 45 to 1. Okay. Uh, Scott Dixon could go either way. Scott mm -hmm. is the name of a driver. You know what I mean? Like, that's the first. If you are if you know your son's going to get into racing, name him Scott. It's a perfect name for racing. Wow. Scott Chasen? I mean, that's the perfect he name. Does, he does. He does. He runs. Right. Not competitively. Like Scott he's not, and Chase. He's racing against time, against right. himself. But I guess it still counts. I'm going to say, I'm going to go with it. Scott Dixon is a racer. That's correct. 3-0 start. He's 3-1. He's the favorite. Let's go. To win the Indy 500. He's a favorite. Of course he is. With a name like that? Week four. You're on to your conference play. 3-0. Joseph Newgarden. Mmm. Joseph. Could be Yosef for all I know. It's J-O-S-E-F. So not a traditional spelling. I believe that's Yosef. I believe we be. call those guys Yosef. That is pretty much how we've done it. And the, the last name, Newgarden? Yes. Is there any umlauts or... Any no. sort of weird punctuation? It's, it's spelled how you would think. Newgarden, huh? Yosef Newgarden. I'm going to say Yosef Newgarden is uh, an actor or an actress from a Shailene Woodley movie. 12 to 1 to win uh, the Indy 500. Man, that sucks. So, it's your first loss, but it's rough because that's your conference opener. Nick Krause. No, we played we played four conference non-con games <laughs> okay, this year. Okay, okay. Nick Krause. Nick Krause? Yeah, I don't know that name, but I'll go with actor and actress. We haven't had one yet. Plays Sid in The Descendants. Shailene Woodley. Never seen it. Never seen it. The only movie I've seen with her is um, Maze Runner. 
and uh, she was in some uh, uh, Pretty you're, Little Lies. You're thinking of uh, Divergent. Divergent. Not, there we go. Maze well, same thing. There's dystopian yeah, there's future with a bunch who, of yeah, bunch of high school kids falling in <laughs> love and saving the world. Colton Herda. Colton Herda. I don't know. Most of the driver names have sounded like they were European, uh, except for Scott Dixon. Yeah. But you want the spelling Colton on Herda? Sounds very yeah. H e r t a. Yeah, that sounds American, and I don't think of Americans when I think of indie driving. So. I'm going to say Colton Herta, actor. Damn. Colton Herta is 7-1 to one to win the Indy 500. So also one of the favorites. Okay. All right, that's your second loss. Ansel Elgort. I know that's an actor. I know that's an actor. He's from, he plays uh, the main character of Baby Driver. Yeah, and he also plays Gus in The Fault in Our Stars. Gus. You gonna make fun of him? He dies in that movie. I don't care. He's a fictional character. Mm-hmm. Plenty of them have died. More will. Theo James. Theo. 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 T H E O. Theo James. Could be short for Theodore. I don't know. I'm gonna go actor. He is in Divergent. Hey, we're we going to. He plays. Uh, this is the name of the character. Four. Four. Course. <laughs> I don't know why I even watched that movie. It sucked, man. They made. Did you know they made it's like a bunch it, of little kids? It's like they made a trilogy the out of it. They made a trilogy out of it, and they were gonna do the uh, like Hunger Games thing where they made the third one technically into two, so technically it's a four parter. Uh-huh. And the fourth one flopped so bad that they never even got it out. Wow. Yeah. So we don't in, know what happens. It flopped in test studies or yeah, what? Yeah. Test audiences is okay. All right, you're six and two, doing a lot better than I thought you would. All right. Ed Carpenter. Ed. Carpenter. Well, that's a pretty generic name. Feel like you could go any which way with that. Uh, Ed Carpenter. Ed Carpenter. I'll go driver. Ed Carpenter is twenty-five to one to win the Indy Five Hundred. Needed that one. That's those. You need those coin flips, man. That's what separates winning seasons from losing seasons. Win the coin flip games. Zachary Quinto. Could be Quinto. 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 That sounds like Quinto. Zachary Quinto. Oh. Zachary. Zachary Quinto. I feel like I know that name. Mm. I feel like I know that name. And if I know it, it can't be from racing. It has to be from acting. So I'm going to say he's an actor. Plays Glenn in Snowden. Oh, I never saw saw that one. He plays Glenn. Doesn't even get a last name, huh? No, just Glenn. Okay. John Ortiz. Come on. John Ortiz. John Ortiz. Uh, you got to win out to make the playoff, by the way. You're 8 and 2. Well, I feel like there is an actor somewhere named John Ortiz. Maybe. Multiple actors named Maybe. John Ortiz. Could but be how many drivers, too. In, how many of them have been in movies with Shailene Woodley? Hmm. That's tough. How many movies has Shailene Woodley been in? Do you know? Can you ballpark that I, for me? Uh, I would guess 20. Wow. How many of those are straight-to-DVD releases? <laughs> All right. Uh, John Ortiz, you say. I'll say driver. Oh, I mean, what do you, what do you want me to do, man? Playoff hopes come crashing down. He plays Carlos in the fallout. This is actually, if you Googled John Ortiz, this is the guy I would think you would recognize <laughs> the most, maybe outside of uh, the guy who played Gus, uh, Ainsel Elgord or whatever. Okay. Yeah. yeah. I recognize. He's been in a ton of stuff. Yeah. 
What? That's annoying. You didn't know his name. <laughs> now you will. You'll never forget it, actually. All right, week 12. You are 8-3, and three, so you can still make the conference championship. You're out of the college football playoff. Yeah, I can go to a New Year's Six Bowl. Yeah. Will Power. Will Power. Will Power. Dude, I know that name. Do you think his parents did that on purpose? I know that name. But again, where do I know it from? Yeah. I feel like not only is Will Power a racer, I feel like he's a really, really, really good racer. Mm. I'm going to say racing. He is not... That good because he's 28 to 1, but he is a racer. How do I know him? I have no is idea. Been, is it just because of the name? His name's Willpower? It might be. They actually they released a series of like following Formula One driving on Amazon, and then they have like another one that's on Netflix, I think now. Yeah. So I don't know if you happen to watch one of those or something. Uh no. No. Would have helped you here. He won the IndyCar Series in 2014. That must be it. That's when I was really <laughs> into it. That's when you were at your peak. Yeah. All right, 9-3. and three, You're in your uh, conference championship game. Sam Claflin. Spelling. Claflin. Spelling. C-L-A-F-L-I-N. That sounds like Claflin. Might be. Sam Claflin. I'll do actor. Plays Richard in a drift. This is another guy you would recognize. He well, plays, all the uh, guys in all the guys in Shailene Woodley movies only have one name. Can nobody in this movies get second names? John. This Cliff, is the guy who also plays uh, in the Hunger Game movies. I think Finnick is the guy's name. Does that ring a bell? You don't know? No. Okay. Well, I think you would recognize this guy. All right, you're ten and three. You're in a New Year's Six Bowl. The fans are there we go. celebrating that you did better than last year, but they're still wondering when another title will come. <laughs> keep keep waiting. They're tough. I'm not Alabama or Clemson, so you only get a shot every one, once every seven years. Max Chilton. Uh, Max Chilton. Max. Maximilius, that's a racing name. Do people name their kid Maximilius and then it gets shortened to Max? Maximilian, I don't know. Sometimes. Maxery? 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 Is it Maximilian? Is that... Uh, oh, what's the movie with... I don't know, man. George Butler. Uh, no, you, Maximilius. You're thinking of, and you're not even thinking of the right movie. You're thinking <laughs> of Gladiator. You're yeah, thinking of Gladiator, which is not George Butler. It's with Russell, Russell Crowe. Crow. Uh, uh, gosh. Same thing. Good times. Good times. Um, for the win, Maximilius is a racer. 500 to one odds. Throw a buck wow. on him. Let it fly. After that, after that, I think I may. There you go. Indy 500. Now you're ready. He's Derek Johnson. I'm Nick Schwartz. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk.